You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book that you can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club Podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because neither of us has the body for a career in physical masochism. (laughs) My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, the eighth samurai that Kurosawa didn't really think deserved screen time. Benedict, what's the last album you listened to all the way through? That's a good question. Right? Nobody does that anymore. Uh... I think pro- it was probably years ago, and it was probably... Um, right, because when's the last time you owned an album? Nobody no, owns music anymore. You know, sometimes when albums are really well-reviewed, and you're like, okay, I'll try the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, so I did that for um, To Pimp a Butterfly, I think, Kendrick's album. Ooh. was the, probably the last one I did it front to back for. Nice, I've nice. listened to uh, probably most of Nathaniel Rateliff's album, Really? Nathaniel Rateliff. That seems like a weird... Wait, does he have multiple albums? I feel like he only yeah, has no, one he has, album. He has several. Yeah, I think I've uh, listened to The only to one I can of... think of the, is the one with all, like, all his chest hair on the front. That's yeah, the one. it's not that's that one. It's the one other I one. Know. It's the other one. Um, the way, it came out in like, 2018. I've probably listened to all of that as yeah, well. not bad. But probably not all at once and not all in the same order, but I've See, listened to every song on it. That's what I'm saying is is just sitting down or not sitting down, but listening to an album all in one go. And, you know, maybe you take a break here and there, but in yeah. order, as they released it, as they intended yeah. for you to listen to it, I assume maybe they don't care about that as much these days, but listen yeah, to it all in do. one go. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's probably Kendrick. It's probably Kendrick's uh, second album. It's Pimp a nice. What about you? For me, I just did it the other day, which uh, spawned the question, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I have very long gym days. I I spend often about three hours a day at the gym. Um, And so that's an opportunity to me to get into some shit. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but sometimes I just put on uh, music and listen to some stuff. And I went the other day and I listened to all of Greta Van Fleet's new album, uh, The Battle at Garden's Gate. I don't know if you're familiar with Greta Van Fleet at all. Their first album was... fantastic um the lead singer has like a cross between robert plant and the lead singer of rush's voice and it doesn't seem forced it doesn't seem intentional he was just blessed with that amazing voice blessed baby yeah and they just put out some really great sort of throwback 70s rock sound and stuff that's just kicks ass um the new album um I'm, you know, it's decent. It's a little bit of a step in a new direction. I see where they're going. It wasn't exactly what I expected, but uh, there's some great tracks on there that I definitely recommend. So yeah, go ch- uh, go check out Greta Van Fleet. Uh, you can't go wrong with the uh, Highway Song or um, Black Smoke Rising. Any of those songs, it's some great stuff. But anyways, Benedict, 
that's not what we're here for today. What no, we are here never. for today, what we do here on this program, is this is the show where we go deep, 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 deep into the haystack of conservatism seeking the needle of right-wing thought. <laughs> this is, of course, the show where every other week we review I Need to Change Up how I do this intro. I'm just realizing how wordy it's getting, and I'm, I'm discussing this live on the air now, yeah. how I need to change up <laughs> how I do Listen, this entire that, look, intro look, section If we're going to get wordy and self-reflective, <laughs> let's do it. Come on, let's get... Let's Change is coming to the yeah, show exactly. soon. Ben is fired. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to just be me. Ben complains show. too much about the show being too long, and honestly, exactly. this intro would be even longer if, if it, it was could be. Just you talking, this show would be 15 minutes. Yeah, uh, and That's it would be true. completely unedited because That's you refuse true. to do any of that work. No, but this is the show. Uh, hold on, you wouldn't want me to do any of that. <laughs> no, work. no, I've heard it the few times you've done it. Uh, this is the show where every other week we review a chapter from a work of a work of conservative. See, this is what I'm talking about. Gotta rework a work of conservative nonfiction to learn why. Anybody would do that. And in between, we take a look at other examples of the right doing their best to make America hate again. Ooh. Benedict, you start us off. Do you have a hot take for us this week? Yeah, and it's the contrarian in me is coming out, and I'm not going to watch mm. Squid Game. Really? Yeah, because everyone says it's so good, <laughs> and now I haven't watched it quickly enough, and now I'm like, fuck it. My whole personality is going to be not watching it. So God damn it, I already watched Parasite. How much more of this shit do you want me to okay, see? Okay, Parasite is really good. And I actually probably <laughs> will watch Squid Game eventually. Yes, you I will. Just won't, you I won't watch it in like the next two weeks. I'll quietly come back to it. You know, I'll, I'll admit to you, I'm doing the same thing. I refuse to watch it while it's big. I will watch it in a few weeks after everything calms down. That's when yeah. I will finally watch it because I don't... I don't want to be part of the conversation about it. I just don't. I don't want to have a hot take about Squid Game. I want to watch it, have that hot take, realize it's far too late for me to tweet about that hot yeah. take, which psychologically prevents me from putting that out into the world. That is my entire plan vis-a-vis Squid Game. But sure. it is sort of right up my alley, though. Yeah, <laughs> it is yeah. sort of the thing well, that I would absolutely what's love. What's funny is um, like all the South Korean reviewers are like, what? <laughs> why why this one like everyone's just like why is this the one like they're like it's cliched characters etc etc yeah yeah <laughs> it is it is but you know what it's something uh, it's very much like the sort of thing from overseas that makes it big in the united states it's it's right in that niche to yeah just be i mean perfect. there's there's a fun discussion about the all the all the uh foreign shows that make it big in the u.s are all about inequality or trying to combat mm -hmm. inequality yep so that probably says something about the u.s as a consumer audience and the could. lack of content Very made it's possible lack of domestic content there. made for like <laughs> to fill that niche yep what's your hot take how about you ask that better no Looks yeah. like looks like uh, we're at a, a classic impasse. <laughs> we got an audio. Well, um, Kevin, what's your hot take this week? Wow, I really clipped that. We got an auditory Mexican standoff going on today. I guess. Are you allowed to say that? I think so. Uh, it's a cliche. It's what we're talking about. Anyways, Benedict, my hot take this week: there is no such thing as an American culture. Okay. And this has not come from me sitting down and thinking deeply or reading anything inspirational 
or uh, that, that deeply looked into the idea. It comes from me doing a shitload of research into right-wing shitbags for mm, this program. That seems right. Like yep. most see of how my you got hot that. takes yep, come yep, from. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> um, I have, at any given time, you know, a number of interstitial episodes in the works. I have uh, Word documents with partially done outlines and, you know, found some videos. I'm trying to figure out how to put things together, and that's why we're, we're doing the really easy stuff right now where I'm sort of on this series of dumb people in Congress because they are easy to research and there's not much depth there. They may be very entertaining, but they're easy on me to put those episodes together. Yep. Um, so I always have all these things in the works. And I spent some time the other day doing a lot more of that looking and, and just going back, man, going back into, you know, I, one of the things I'm looking into right now is the sovereign citizen movement mm -hmm. and um, Willis Carto and the Liberty Lobby, which are a bunch of white supremacists who intersect with William F. Buckley. Um, there's all this stuff and all of them constantly talk about culture because what they mean is fucking white. That's what they mean. They mean white. There is no such thing as an American culture. From the very beginning, it was always about how everyone comes from all over the place and the melting pot and all that bullshit we were taught as kids. But we find out later in our adulthood that our parents and all the people who were saying it don't actually believe. What they believe is that those people who come from other cultures should become like us. They should become like the white people. They don't really believe that there's a mixing pot. But that is the reality. There is no the other, singular American the, culture. The other point to make is that white did not include a lot of people that we now <laughs> sure. see as white. But I'm talking about more about in the modern context. Sure. Let's, you know, say like 1960s to today. When all the... God damn it, every fucking time it's a fucking white supremacist when they're arguing about its culture. And think about a lot of the books that we've read. When they talk about cultures not mixing properly. What they usually mean in the more modern context, let's say 2000 to today, they're talking about Muslims. They're talking about those brown people. That's the culture that doesn't mix. That's what it is. Because culture is just a word that stands in for whoever they want to hate today. That's what it is. It's fucking bullshit because... Without a doubt, every single one of these fucking groups, every one of these people, going back to groups that are even out-and-out out white supremacists, they all use that word culture because they think it sounds more intellectual than just saying, we don't want no Muslims coming in here. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it it's very much that, like, that meme format of like you i'm a racist me an intellectual <laughs> i prefer the cultural history of the white man like, yes yes that's exactly what it is and i think uh Patton oswalt has a great bit where he's talking about uh the the intellectualizing of shitbags or something like that and he's talking about how if you if you're focused so much on language you're gonna let a lot of evil motherfuckers through and it's, you know, the, the guy in the coffee shop. Oh, I just think that for the time being that uh, heteronormative sexual activity is, yeah. you know, for the propagation of the species, that yeah. kind of bullshit. It's the same fucking shit. The evil motherfuckers learn that they need to change their language first because that's how they hide the evil of it. That's how they focus on, ah, technically I said X. And yes, I meant Y, but technically <laughs> I said X. So... That's what drove me crazy over this last fucking week. And I just had to get it out. I really had to get it out. Benedict, let's move on. What's on your bookshelf this week? Well, Kevin, I may have already said this. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you did. <laughs> but I, I'm reading it now again, so it's fine. Um, I, it's uh, King Leopold's Ghost by Adam Hoke's Child. 
which is about the uh, frankly genocidal uh, reign yep. of King Leopold yep. II in uh, what he termed the free state of the Congo, which was by no means free for anybody that actually lived there, uh, apart from like the handful of Belgian people that enforced the rule of the, the rule of law. Definitely not the rule Benedict. of law. Enforced- the history of Africa is well, it was free for some people, but. <laughs> They weren't the people from there. <laughs> yeah, no. So it's a really good book. Um, it's a it's a good look, like a bottom up look of like the people that actually suffered under the rule, rather than looking too much at like Leopold or like the major European players. It does uh, it does look into that a little bit. But the main takeaway, at least from the first half of the book, which is where I am right now, is you know who Henry Morgan Stanley is. Yep. The famous explorer for people mm-hmm. that don't know he's the famous explorer that uh he's most famous for the dr livingston i presume yes thing having found him in at, around the east coast of africa or by, by lake uh, one of the one of the big lakes whose names i don't want to butcher by trying to pronounce it but on the in the east coast <laughs> is it of lake africa, titicaca no that is in south america ah. uh it's like lake i don't Tagani, know where lakes are Taganian, <laughs> yeah I, w- whatever i'm not sure um but he was a huge shitbag essentially <laughs> which i mean 19th century african explorer you can pretty much put that I, but actually a lot of them were much less bad than him like people that like richard burton while also being pub- it's funny that there's a reporter called a uh, reporter explorer called richard burton who's not the famous welsh actor <laughs> but um it, it, i mean he had his own things problems etc but like even he at the time was like hey uh this stanley guy um (laughs) maybe he should stop just killing everyone he comes across that might be a start history's full of bad people well also but the other thing is and i i always talk about this and we i think we've talked about this before is everyone who's like oh history shouldn't judge people by the standards of the modern times no there are always 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 people at the time who are like this guy is fucking shitbag you should not we should not be idolizing him you know a nice columbus day uh recollection is that he literally was imprisoned by the spanish crown for doing too much <laughs> enslaving and torturing so well, let's I, not I, talk look, about i disagree this fucking... i no. disagree with we we can't di- uh judge people by the standards sure, of the I, no, I, I when agree those with you people are that. being invoked by yeah. people who are trying to argue a point based on what they did or they I said. I agree with you on that, but also almost always these shitty people were judged in their yes. own times. Yes. So that like it's it, it, not only is it a stupid argument for your reasons, but it's a stupid argument on its own terms. Which you don't is, get you don't get to wishy wash away any of the founding fathers' slave ownership when Benjamin Franklin existed. You don't yeah. get to. Because there like were people all who said this Quakers is bad. Who were like, hey, we shouldn't do slavery. <laughs> it's bad. Just yeah. Anyway, so I forgot what my point was, but read that book. King Leopold's Ghost. Pretty King sure Leopold's you've suggested Ghost. it before, yeah, but maybe. sounds decent. It is good. It's really good. Maybe it's I'll really finally good. read a book. I think, he, book I you think he taught at Berkeley. Maybe actually. I will finally read a book you suggested. And, I think and Adam Hochschild taught taught at Berkeley. So, oh, is it uh, Annie? Um, uh, fuck, what? I can't remember her full name. She has three names, right? No, Adam Hochschild. Okay. Annie. Okay, I, I I misheard you. Um, there's a, a sociology professor who, from Berkeley who. Never mind. We'll talk about it at some other point. Okay. Are we gonna do this? Again? I thought you were. I thought are you were we, gonna, we gonna say something else. Are we gonna fucking do this else? again? I was waiting for you to say something else. I was waiting for you to say something else. 
It's fine. You no, know, it's all staying in the show this week. Okay, I fine. just feel like this is the vibe for this week. We already <laughs> admitted chaotic. we got to work on some <laughs> stuff in the opening. Chaotic energy this week. Um, <laughs> so, what's your... I, I don't even know why I fucking bother asking you, because it's never a fucking book, which is why I'm uh, so loath to ask you. I recommended books. Two weeks ago, I recommended a book. Don't you dare get fine. on me for this shit, because what? Benedict, this is something I'm sure we both enjoy. I am, this week, recommending the video game mm. Metroid Dread for the okay. Nintendo Switch. Uh, I don't know how much of a fan of the Metroid series you are. I'm a huge Metroid fan. I loved them all. Every single game. Uh, even the uh, uh, GameCube uh, first-person shooter version of Metroid that they did at one point. I thought that was fantastic. Love me some Metroid. And I just got Metroid Dread. I'm playing through it, and it's just... It's perfection. It's everything you hoped that they could do with a side-scrolling Metroid game. I It just... They mastered it with this little bit of extra good technology that gives us these better graphics, and it's the classic gameplay that's just so damn good, and I'm, I'm so happy about it. It's just all complete enjoyment. I love every minute of it. Okay. I have never yeah. played the Metro game, so wow. that's something for me. So angry at you. You I'm do own sure. a Nintendo Switch, so you will. I do, yeah. There's no, there's no, now you know what you should have bought with my last birthday that you Damn didn't it. buy me anything. Son so. of a bitch. Well, it just yeah. came out a couple days ago. <laughs> Anyways, Benedict, on to housekeeping. Of course, remember to rate and review us on iTunes. Follow us on all the social medias at NYGBCPod on Twitter. Uh, we mentioned last episode the patron-only bonus uh, is now available with another chapter of our review of None Dare Call It Conspiracy mm-hmm. by Gary Allen and Larry Abraham, and it was it was a fun one. I certainly enjoyed it. And this week, I am announcing something new because we sort of tossed this idea around on the last episode. Of um, it'd be fun. It'd be fun to have some more listeners to the show and uh, get our listeners involved in helping to spread the show. So I decided that we're going to launch an operation. Okay. This sort of a military-sounding name, because Mm -hmm. this is heavily involved in, of course, we know that we're controlled by George Soros, Mm. and um, we are all CFR members, obviously. We know this as well. Um, So this has to be part of our evil uh, communist conspiracy to control the world. So I'm going to call this, I don't know, uh, Operation Neptune. That sounds like an operation, right? Uh, Anyone who wants to can become a part of our New World Spooky World Order. (laughs) I'm also happy that it finally went in and boosted the volume of that drop because it was very low before. Um, And you can do so by doing one of several things. Uh, First, you can share a link to the show on a social media platform somewhere where it's going to be seen by other people. Recommend it. Um, bonus points if you drop it, uh, let's say, in a, a Facebook group for another podcast. Maybe someone who's been on the show before <laughs> we can annoy with our fans infiltrating. Um, and we have one. We have one person who has already done so. And this this person now, Balls Waterson, one of our patrons. You are now part of our New World Spooky World Order. And you can become a member of our New World Spooky World Order uh, every week, if you like, by sure. posting in a different place. We'll, uh, we'll announce whoever does it. Just take a screenshot of where you left a uh, link to the show or a post and uh, send it to me on Twitter or at the email, kevinandbenedict at gmail.com, and uh, we'll, we'll induct you into the Spooky New World Order. Mm. So that's, uh, that's something. You don't have to be a patron to do that. You can just be any old listener, and you can uh, get a little shout-out here on the show. That's but right. all that if out of the want. way. Or we can just, like, 
say thank you to the anonymous New World Spooky World Order member. Yeah, Maybe. we could. Something like that. You don't, don't have to give your name. Some people don't have to give your name. Don't don't have to give your name. On there. You can tell That's me fine. what you want. No pressure. I don't really care. I uh, also don't really want my name on the air, but here I am. <laughs> <laughs> I have one tiny update uh, from last week's show. And that just, I when I was doing the edit, this occurred to me, and it bothers me when there's something I think could be taken the wrong way that I might have said. And I oh, think no. there might have been the implication from something I said last week that Tud Cruz... Ted, Tud, not Tud, Tud, not Tud. Tud, 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 Tud would Cruz. be a better name. Tud would be better. Uh, Ted Cruz and Obama are subject to the same criteria. Uh, I think was the implication that might have come across. When in reality, Ted Cruz actually was born in a different country. And birtherism is fake in its entirety, and it's just a whole load of horseshit. I just felt like there might be the implication that I was implying there was any sort of truth to the Obama birtherism stuff, which there isn't. Um, and even if any of it was true, he would still be a U.S. citizen, just like Ted Cruz, because his mother was a U.S. citizen. It just, yep. it annoys the shit out of me. And I just wanted to make sure that there was no no uh, crossing of the streams there. And then any other implication. Anyways, with all that out of the way, Benedict, we continue our book review of God and Man at Yale, The Superstitions of Academic Freedom by William Frank Buckley Jr., The Feeling of Wearing a Turtleneck Personified. <laughs> Benedict, what did we read this week? Well, Kevin, this week we read the first half of chapter one, Religion at Yale, in which William F. Buckley lists the bad people and also doesn't understand his own argument. <laughs> Does he list the bad people or he just list the professors who probably gave him a bad grade? Okay, well, I'm not so sure. Maybe, one or the other. This um, is, what the fuck did we read? This is like the proto version of the Turning Point USA professor hit list. That's basically all this is. It's yeah. insane. Yeah, exactly, and I—I I mean, it's—it's. It's, it, this. It, it made it's me really frustrating. <laughs> it made me really sad because this is—it's so parochial. Like, and I know we yeah. kind of should expect that, but um, it yeah, it's just—it's so weird that like this hyper specific. I don't like these departments at the college that I went to has become like this founding document for yeah. this whole right wing movement. And like everyone just pretends it's really good. And Kevin, it's not. There's nothing good about this. It's, and I texted you earlier today that my number one thought when I was reading this entire chapter was how sad is it that this is a classic of conservatism when there is nothing here but a guy bitching about his professors and for the most part, it seems to me probably just making a lot of shit up because he didn't have much to complain about. And admitting in a lot of places that nobody even agreed with him when he was at Yale. Yeah. It's really fucking sad. Well, I mean, that that would fit his argument. But also, I mean, the, the, the thing that annoyed me more than anything is like his argument isn't internally consistent. No. So like I, we'll get to it. But like he's like, well, this religious pe person teaching a class doesn't mean that it's a religious class. But this atheist teaching a class means he's spreading yep. the atheist gospel. Like it, it just it doesn't like it just doesn't make sense. He's also completely inconsistent on what he says he wants what the optimal situation would be in his his ideal world. It's completely unclear to me. As for we'll we'll get into it, but Benedict, to start us off, do you have an alternate chapter title for us this week? I do. Hold on, let me just open my book. Uh, it is Here's the People I Don't Like. Yep. That's pretty much a good summation of it. Uh, mine is a little bit more uh, topical. I think it's quote, teach them what to think, not how to think. 
That's basically what I think he wants at Yale, I think. Oh, I mean, that's certainly how Michael Knowles... Was it Michael? Michael, Michael Knowles? Knowles? That's yeah. how he yeah. read it. That's how yeah, he read it. Yeah, I mean, it. yeah, it very much is. And like I said, like they think this book is a classic. Yep. Michael Knowles, who wishes he was a big deal in conservatism, thought it important enough to write a special bullshit introduction for this book that pretended this was something special when yeah. it's fucking not. It's not. So he starts off this chapter with a quote, and it is from President Charles Seymour, a president of Yale University, I assume. It's from his inaugural, inaugural address of October 16th, 1937, and it is, quote, I call on all members of the faculty as members of a thinking body freely to recognize the tremendous validity and power of the teachings of Christ in our life-and-death struggle against the forces of selfish materialism. If we lose that struggle, judging from present events abroad, scholarship, as well as religion, will disappear. By the way, cool. Benedict, President Charles Seymour, was a founding member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Oh, fun! I just found that funny. I found that really funny. Yeah. And if you want to learn more about the Council on Foreign Relations, you got to go become a patron and listen to our patron-only bonus episodes, because we're getting deep into that stuff over there yep. right now. So, Bucks starts off this chapter saying, quote, In evaluating the role of Christianity and religion at Yale, I have not in mind the ideal that the universe... I, re, I need to read this I hate in a more this pretentious voice. I, hate I this really first need to read this so in a much. much more pretentious voice. Yeah. That the it, universe it, should be composed of a company yeah. of scholars exclusively or even primarily concerned with spreading the word of the Lord. It's Jonathan Swift without the irony. It's, <laughs> it is a melancholy object to those... <laughs> uh, he also does that thing that annoys me. And I, I, I'm sure it was more common in old timey, so I'm not going to criticize him for this, but uppercasing word and Lord and any word having to do with Christianity they, whatsoever they still gets do uppercased. Lord. They still definitely do Lord. I haven't yeah, seen I word see, you see it all the time. Time. Wow. I mean, I I don't I don't care. I like I said, I don't want to criticize him for it because I I think it was just common back then. Yeah, uh, yeah, they still do it some these days. But I did want to point out that he goes a little overboard on it with anything having to do with Christianity gets uppercased. It it gets capitalized. That's true. But he says, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the the point of this first paragraph. What really struck me is doing this like faux uh, reasonableness again. Yes, the same is. same vibe. Like, did Buckley popularize that? That's what I was going to point it? out. Like, yes, you're exactly on track. That's what I was going to point out. Uh, continuing into his next paragraph, which I'll read, is quote: "But we can, without going that far, raise the question whether Yale fortifies or shatters the average student's respect for Christianity. There are, of course, some students who will emerge stronger Christians from any institution, and others who will reject religion wherever they are sent. But if the atmosphere of a college is overwhelmingly secular, if the in Influential members of the faculty tend to discourage religious inclinations or to persuade the student that Christianity is nothing more than ghost fear or 20th century witchcraft. University policy, quite properly, becomes a matter of concern to those parents and alumni who deem active Christian faith a powerful force for good and for personal happiness. So, he starts off can this I, chapter. Can I just say, most of that six lines was one sentence. Yes, yes, it was. So he actually says, and I don't think we read the part where he says he doesn't want to make a seminary out of Yale. No. He says he says that's not what he wants. But the majority but of this chapter... the reasonable thing to do is to teach Christianity as yes. the cornerstone of religion. Yes, that is actually what he argues through this chapter. He actually, at one point, I think, uh, the implication I got, argues that 
teaching a neutral point of view is anti anti Christian. Teaching from yeah. a Pro point of view that neither uh, promotes nor denigrates Christianity is actually anti-Christian. Yeah, so it, it teaching the sense. Bible from a non-Christian standpoint, even yes. if you yourself are a Christian pastor, <laughs> is not is anti-Christian. Absolutely, it makes no goddamn sense. It drove me fucking nuts. But so we start off this chapter, and he he goes on some more about what he thinks Yale is. It's a non-denominational, educational, blah, blah, blah. It's a fucking school for rich kids. That's what the fuck Yale is. And mm -hmm. I will, for one thing, I went to a school that is much better than Yale. Uh, also and, for and, rich kids, uh, but for rich, yes. rich hippies. Well, to be fair, I also got entirely through undergrad at Berkeley on scholarships, so go fuck Aww, yourself. look at you. Yeah, as do a good number of people who end up going to Berkeley. Uh, you also went to a school that is much better than Yale. <laughs> but for <laughs> also some for reason... Rich kids. <laughs> This Ivy League bullshit mystique, and I think it's because of dicks like Buckley, who come out of there with some bullshit upper crust accent nonsense going yeah. on and pretend that they're so cultured and they know blah, 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 blah. All this bullshit, this mystique, really what I'm hoping we could do in reading this book is crack that fucking mystique. Because yeah, fuck Yale. You know, you got your Yale kids uh, walking around, pinkies in the air, you got Harvard being ted cruz and then you have uh me giving them both swirlies that's that's <sighs> what i would like to imagine the dynamic is between berkeley and and yale and those other ivy league dicks so he starts off here and the first thing he's going to do is talking about a, a couple of different individuals before he gets to different departments he brings up one person in particular is the only person to bring up before we get to the first department he's going to talk about clarence p shed professor Clarence P. Shedd is the first person he brings up, and he points out that um, on a radio program, because remember this is 1951, radio was a big deal, um, about, I guess it was like a Yale-produced radio thing? I guess. I don't know what the deal is. But he insisted that there was a big upswing in post-war religious interest and said, quote, I talked with a chaplain in a large state university only last week who asserted that all the religious influences in his university were not significantly influencing more than 10% of the undergraduates. My own figure for the large university situation nationally has been 15%. Mm -hmm. I bring that up because I, throughout this chapter, kept getting stuck with, uh, where the fuck does... Buckley keep pulling this 10% figure from. That, and now it. I realize where he got it is he pulled it from this guy, Clarence P. Shedd, ha saying on the saying, radio uh, that he heard it from a pastor. Yeah. That's where he got this 10% figure that Buckley then applies to the Yale students and says, well, only about 10% of them are influenced positively in the way of Christianity or religion. And we do have to point out again, this comes up, there's a lot we have to point out just to get through the muck of this bullshit yep. chapter. He keeps saying religion. That's yeah, the he word means he his, his brand of Christianity, which is yes. Catholicism. He does not recognize any other religion as being religion. He does not. He would not recognize yeah. Hinduism, presumably, or Buddhism, or Judaism, or Muslims, or Islam, or whatever. Uh, that would not qualify for him under this category of religion that he wants the well, university to inculcate. There's a footnote in which he says just that. He says, I make no apology for defining religion in the Christian sense and eschewing the nebulous personalized definition given to that term. So not only is he rejecting like sociological aspect, like 
definitions of religion and yes. whatever that means, like personal God, blah, blah, blah. He's rejecting other organized... Re- he doesn't even consider applying it to other organized religions. No. He actively rejects re- applying it to wishy-washy, what he calls wishy-washy definitions of religion. Yeah. But he doesn't even reject what, Which, Which, to be fair, I would religion. also call wishy-washy no, no, definitions of religion. I agree, <laughs> but what I'm saying is it's funny that that's what he chooses to reject and not other organized religions because that's yeah. not even conceptually possible to him yeah it's it's really weird and so but i just have to point that out because what he's going to keep saying is he thinks that yale should inculcate religion that it should promote religion what he means means is christianity we just have to get that clear so when i'm reading quotes you don't go oh but he's saying religion there just have to make that clear right up front so the first section we get here is from the department of religion that's the first one he's going to be talking about at yale university apparently they had a department of religion what i would guess now is probably called religious studies department probably still exists most colleges have something like that and it starts with a quote from president seymour which says even as with chapel the bare figures of the presence of courses in religion are no reliable guide as to the value of the work offered and that's a point that is a very flowery and bullshit way of saying something he's going to keep stressing throughout this, which is even if there are classes on religion, if they're not actively trying to make all the students be Christian, then it's yeah. not actually pro-religion and yeah. it's, it's not good. Which that's, is fair. That's his I big mean, complaint. Yeah, fair enough. Like, but the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the problem is what he needs to argue is that Christianity should be the cornerstone of an education. And he's not doing that. He's taking that as read. Like, he's just not done the right... He's not written the right book. No, absolutely not. His starting point is wrong. Well, and there's another problem for you and me. We've said many times, just in full openness, right, we're both atheists. So Mm -hmm. his initial... What he said, I I don't remember if it was in the introduction. I think it was in the introduction he wrote when this book originally came out, when he was writing about how he's not going to argue over whether Christianity is positive or whether it should be... Blah, blah, blah. It's preternaturally good and should be taught in schools. Like, for you and I, the entirety of the rebuttal we need for this book is I reject that premise. (laughs) Yeah, I reject your whole premise. Yes. And we are done with this. Which I do. Yes. But we're going to play with him on his own field. We're going to go argue against the bullshit he's saying. And the problem with most of this chapter is he's literally just listing long dead professors yeah. who there is very little information online for me to look up. Some this of them were dead so when angry. he wrote the book. Yes, because you know what I love about this show is being able to go down these internet rabbit holes of some douchebag Glenn Beck is citing who knows nothing and his fucking, you know, aliens told him something. It's funny I what can't we both... do that with any of these people. It's and that fu- drove me nuts. It's funny what we both separately love. You love getting out of book. I think you just love escaping from the book yes. and being like, oh, I looked that up. I knew you would have looked them all up, so I don't even bother doing that. I yep. just love, I love to find the internal inconsistencies in the argument and be like, look at this, dumbass. <laughs> this is what you said two pages ago. So, so I, I get really into the book and you like to escape from the book. And I think that makes us a great team for these things. Yeah, and the other problem I should just note is a lot of these people, he doesn't give their full names. He just calls them Mr. Blank. So okay. Mr. Last. Also, some of these Which names, meant it was an extra hurdle for me in looking these assholes up. Some of these names, I was like, are these synony- like pseudonyms? Because yeah, I no. refuse to believe there no, is a professor real. called re- Professor Goodenough. Yep, I mean, there was a come Professor Goodenough. Benedict, 
We're not even there yet, but do you want to know what Professor Goodenough, Professor Irwin Ramsdell Goodenough, named his fucking son? Oh my god, not? Is it not? No, it was John B. John B. Goodenough! That's what he fucking named him! I'd have gone with not. But anyways, the first person we're going to complain about here in this chapter is Mr. Lovett who I've managed to find, was Augustus Sidney Lovett. That is the individual's first name. Uh, he was a chaplain, chaplain at the Yale This isn't really a complaint, to be fair. Well, what he does say is he is a widely admired chaplain. You know, I found his obituary. Those are always going to be flowery. And it does say he was widely loved, sure, whatever. But Buckley says about him um, that he teaches this class called Historical and Literary, Literary Aspects of the Old Testament. And Buckley complains, quote, but he does not proselytize the Christian faith or indeed teach, in italics, religion at all. Even the title of the course does not call for understanding of or even sympathy with Christianity. That's, that's a complaint. That reads like a complaint mm-hmm. to me. And he goes on to say that, well, I mean, Lovett is a chaplain, obviously, so he's obviously a fucking Christian. Yeah. But uh, his complaint is that this course that he's teaching is not an influence on behalf of Christianity. That's a direct quote. Quote, influence on behalf of Christianity. No more, quote, than a course on Das Kapital would necessarily indicate an influence on behalf of Marxism. I have some gripes with that. Okay. What's <laughs> what's your gripes? I have threefold gripes. Uh-huh. Uh, the first is that, uh, A, conservatives go nuts if Das Kapital is ever taught oh, on campus. Absolutely yeah. nuts. Uh, B, um, it's... It's not really akin to that. It's like if a hardcore Marxist was teaching a class on Das Kapital, because then you naturally get it through a certain perspective, um, because it's a chaplain teaching a book on the history of Christianity. It's not like a conservative teaching a class on Das Kapital, is it? It's not quite the same. No, no. Um, and see, like even having a course on it has the effect of making it a cornerstone of the Western tradition. So that is subtly influential, even, you know, they don't have to teach about the Bible at all. So having a class... I think having a class about the literary history and maybe even the actual history of the Bible is gr- a great thing for a college to have. Yeah, but I, I think, think that's, that's wonderful. That's potentially you could because could because be the Bible does a pr- have a massive influence yeah, on Western yeah, literature. Yeah. No, it does. And I, yeah, I hate that I just right. use the term Western literature. I hate that I use that term. God damn it! Well, you a didn't say European American literature. You didn't say sure. American. You didn't say yeah. American. Um, no, but it does have an influence on Western literature. That's true. Um, the but but that's the thing. Like that's I, recognizing it as the cultural cornerstone that it is. And I think that's that's giving it due recognition and promotion, uh, like mm-hmm. to a certain extent, of like the fact that it is a cornerstone of but, Western civilization, for want of a better term. But Frankie like, B's complaint seems to be, yeah, he's teaching that history stuff, but he's not also telling all the students that this is all true, and that's wrong. Yeah, no, exactly. But I, I don't even think this is that much of a complaint. I think like, I think what he's saying is like, this is our guy, and even he's only doing this. Yeah. I think that's that it's not it's not a huge complaint. Like I think if everyone was doing what this guy is doing, he wouldn't have much of a leg to stand on. Sure. But he also then goes on to point out that it's a lot easier to get an A in these religion classes yeah. than it is in any so other class. So he's like, people only take this class because it's an easy A. <laughs> like what? I did enjoy that very yeah. much. Alright, dude, whatever. Go it off. It goes I guess. back to like the conservative gripes about 
uh, college, right? All these, all the college conservatives that I ever interacted with and knew, um, they do complain about their bad grades. And let me tell you, they're not getting bad grades because they're dumber. They're not getting bad grades because the, uh, the, you know, especially the, like the ones I knew at Berkeley, because the professors don't like them. They get bad grades because conservatism is inherently inflexible and does not allow them to do the assignment as it's supposed to be done. You and I, right? We, we've said this many times. You and I went to two of the most elite universities on the planet. I have never had a professor assign an essay that was describe why conservatives are wrong and Das Kapital is right, right? That's not what it is. It'll be like, uh, describe the conflicting narratives on blah and explain how they interact with blah and how yeah. this shaped our view of blah. Yeah. And some anyone could write that from an entirely neutral and objective standpoint and get a fucking A if they worked. But a conservative looks at that and goes, I have to find a way to write this paper that says that my viewpoint is right when that is not what is asking you to do. Mm-hmm. That's why they get bad fucking grades. Yeah. Anyways. We get to the next person yep. from this religion part. <laughs> also a religious teacher. Yes, also a philosophy of religion now is what this guy teaches. This is T.M. Green. And I had a little bit of difficulty figuring out who this T.M. Green Not was. Not M.T. Green, thank God. No, no. As it turns out, there were two T.M. Greens who taught at Yale. One was Theodore Meyer Green and one was Thomas McClear. What was it? Thomas McClear. McSomething. Thomas McSomething Green. Thomas McLernan Green. Um, <laughs> McLernan uh, started at Yale a little later. I think he started teaching in 1954. So that's after this book, so it wouldn't be him. I think that, so I'm pretty sure this is Theodore Meyer Green that we're talking about. I couldn't really find a ton of information on him. I found a reference to him in the Oxford Dictionary of Modern American Philosophers, and that's about it. Um, so not really someone who is big outside of books complaining about religion professors at Yale, but, you know, I guess he existed. And he admits that Green is a Christian by, quote, a great many definitions. But, you know, Buckley thinks he's really not, though. So, I guess. Yeah. My, well, we, (laughs) yeah. We then get to Mr. Goodenough. Yes, then we... It's a strange one, and but like the the next little bit, the rest of the his the 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 religion one is kind of dumb, because it's just like, well, there are people that teach actual religious classes, but no one wants to go to these. Yeah. So we <laughs> should force people to go to them. I guess I was like, is this the free market? Like what? Well, before good enough, he brings up Mr. Schroeder, and oh, his yeah. only complaint about Mr. Schroeder is. He, say, he even says he respects Christianity and what, what it represents, but he doesn't seek to persuade his students to believe in Christ. And that goes back to what I said at the beginning, which is he's completely incoherent about what he actually wants. And by that, I mean he's lying about what he actually wants. Yeah. He had the faux independence at the beginning saying, I don't want Yale to turn into a seminary. I, mm-hmm. I think we just need ob- objectivity. We just I just don't want people who are saying that Christianity is false. What he actually wants is for Yale to force Christianity on its students, which is, you know, for one thing, not a good strategy for a university because they want to attract the best students, not necessarily all the Christian students. Mm -hmm. Um, So not a good idea to force Christianity on everyone. But yes, Benedict, next we get to Mr. Goodenough, uh, who was in fact a Christian Mm -hmm. and who taught... uh, uh, Judaism. He was a Christian guy teaching about Judaism, which I did find funny. I didn't find a ton of references to him. Um, he's a guy, you know, he had a, a little bit of a, a career. He wrote some important 
books for a particular small area of study. Um, As but, most academics do. Exactly. I mean, that's that's just... But yeah, the most interesting thing about him was that he named his son John Be Good Enough. All right. Just, I like to think that he imagined... But... As please, Buck, please be good enough. But as one. Frankie describes him, he uh, or he, Frankie says that good enough described himself as quote eighty percent atheist and twenty percent agnostic. Sounds like a joke to me. It sounds like a professor of religion joking about how we can't prove anything. Yeah, and that's enough to. But if it's well, even true, but even because if he it's doesn't not, claim to it, have been there when he said it, no. he just says he heard from somebody else that yeah. he said that once. But also, even if that is true, he then uses that to- like tossed off claim to mm-hmm. be like, well, that this man clearly doesn't know what he's teaching and is is thus promulgating the atheist agenda because he's an atheist. But then that wasn't good enough for his his pastor that was teaching oh, it a wasn't, class it wasn't good enough yeah for buckley oh, I, I didn't even uh, do that delivery uh, i didn't even do that on purpose Fuck. but Benedict, um, no no uh, but that's what i'm saying like he ha- did he, we he made bother to life- mention that good enough was himself a fucking minister well, sure but but <laughs> but it, that like him being an atheist isn't ipso facto latin uh <laughs> and uh, uh a reason that he's pushing atheism just as under Buckley's argument, the pastor being a pastor isn't ipso facto him pushing Christianity. You can't have it both ways or you shouldn't be able to in a good book. Well, Benedict, it's not a good book. It's not good enough. (laughs) Uh, There's a couple others he complains about, but just in like a sentence, they don't really matter. Mr. Latourette, Mr. Walton, um, and like not enough for me to look to even care no, to look those people up. It's mostly nobody takes these people I like classes, which again is like whose fault is that? Yeah, and I mean at one point he did say that uh, many people agree with him, or there's a widespread opinion many, about many this one professor. Many people are saying that there's and uh, yeah, I gotta point out right. Everything I found about people who attended Yale with Hearsay. Buckley writing about what Buckley said go like, uh, we all sort of thought he was a dick. That's basically the opinion. Nobody really agreed with Buckley on any of this shit. And I think what this book accomplished, which is to say nothing, also goes to the point that nobody agreed with Buckley. This is him trying to make his unpopular opinions seem more popular than they actually were in real time. But he continues, quote, Even if we assume, then, that a vigorous religion department, which he has acknowledged did exist at Yale, indicates the prevalence of religion on the campus, we find that at Yale there does not even exist within the religion department itself a remarkably pro-religious bias. It is staffed by able scholars, many of whom several universities would be glad to add to their teaching staff. Academically, in other words, it is everything one could wish. But to the student who seeks intellectual and inspirational support for his faith, it is a necessarily keen disappointment. And then we get the only thing about this chapter that actually really interested me, as far as, like, the words he's writing and not the subtext or context behind them, which was the required courses at Yale. Uh, the the credit requirements at Yale, yep. which he lists out here. Apparently, you have to take a full year course in each of these fields. Uh, first, English, Latin, or Greek. So you had to pick one of the three. Uh, second, modern language, assuming Spanish or French. Spanish or something. French, probably. Yeah, probably not German at this time. Yeah, not, a, not a lot of German going on then. Uh, three, formal thinking, which was defined further as mathematics, logic, or linguistics. Four, laboratory science, 
I wonder how good that was in 1951. A lab course in 1951. That would have been an interesting thing to see. It would have been a trip, yeah. Five, classical languages, literature, and civilization. Six, modern literature, the fine arts, and music. Seven, anthropology, economics, geography, geography, political science, psychology, sociology. Eight, history, philosophy, religion. And nine, natural or physical science. That is... So much more stringent requirements for, you know, like a strict course setup than you have in any modern universities. Yeah. Like, I had much more freedom to pick. My, there were prerequisites. There were things you had to take. But I had much more freedom to pick among the classes I want to take than that mm. uh, rubric that he provided there. And his I big complaint is not enough for religion. People don't yes. have to take a religious class. They Even can take a history class instead of a religious class. Religion what is, is one of the choices for number eight. History, philosophy, religion. Yeah, but, but he's upset that it's not his own thing. He wants religion to be its own requirement that everyone has to set. And he says, following that, quote, In so doing, requiring to how they set up their requirements, it denies equal status for religion, say, with, say, French or Spanish grammar and pronunciation to the teaching that has played the most vital role in our civilization and can play the most vital role in our lives. Sure. Yep. And next, the social <laughs> sciences. That's what we're going to complain about next. And this starts with a quote this he's was, taken yeah, from somewhere. This is very boring, isn't it? Which says, the social sciences and humanities are more properly called upon for value judgments. When these are ignored or are made inimical to religion, the harm is often irreparable. Fun. Sure. And he starts this section by saying, quote, it should already be clear that the religion department is not a source of pervasive Christian influence at Yale, that its impact on the vast majority of students is negligible, and that the university does not recognize religion as an indispensable field of study for an ed educated man. Man. He meant man, too. Yes, he did. And doesn't that just sound so... What that brought to mind for me was Greg Jarrett and the snowball of inferences. Yeah. And demanding, despite the fact that you have proven nothing... That you have proven the entirety yeah. of your point and just moving <laughs> on. It's a facto QED. Next play. <laughs> That's exactly what that reads like to yeah. me. Yeah. And so he, he sort of glosses over some of the stuff in here. I guess at this time, social sciences included some of the you know economics and government in that. Uh, that makes sense. It sort of seems where it belongs. I would say economics science. still does. Yeah, economics. I feel like would be more in like math department. I don't no, know. I think Whatever. it's the same thing. I think it's social eh. sciences. Uh, I don't know. I don't really know. Uh, but he sort of says that. Well, you know, those things. You don't really talk about religion in those classes because they don't really matter there. So I'm not going to complain about those. I'm going to complain about the other social science classes. <laughs> he has to point that out, and he starts off by saying, "Quote." But we narrow down our search primarily to an evaluation of the influences that stem out of the departments of sociology, philosophy, and psychology. Most particularly, of course, we are concerned with those teachers within these departments who actively disparage or encourage religion. We notice at once that teachers whose bias is conspicuously pro-Christian are not easy to find at Yale. For while they undoubtedly exist, they seem reluctant, perhaps in the interest of objectivity, to proclaim their convictions. We concentrate, therefore, on those instructors and those texts that are overtly or covertly hostile to religion, whether through the silent treatment 
active opposition or supercilious disparagement. What so a there, snitch, honestly. Like, well, like I said, it's just like fucking Turning Point USA's yeah. fucking snitch report or whatever their bullshit attack on professors is. But including silent treatment there is another signal that it was all faux uh, neutrality at the beginning. It was faux yeah. independence. Not talking about Christianity, not promoting Christianity is for him anti-Christian. It's real. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. it's really weird. It's really fucking bullshit. But he continues on the next page talking about Ralph E. Turner. That's the first professor he's going to bring up, and he teaches in the history department uh, and teaches a class called the Contemporary World. Probably, you know, mix of history and sociology, stuff like that, what it sounds like. What's the most interesting about Ralph E. Turner is I managed, in looking for him, to find an article uh, about him in mm -hmm. the AAUP, which is the American Association of University Professors, Journal of Academic Freedom, which is a case study on his firing from the University of Pittsburgh in the 1930s, which they conclude was a severe, severe uh, uh, violation of his free speech rights. Oh, fun. But basically, they went after him for the same complaints that um, our boy uh, Frankie B's going after him here. Basically the same shit. He's an atheist and he didn't hide it. No. Okay. So fire him, I guess. That's that's it. It's really pathetic. But I will say, for Buckley's credit, when we sort of talked about this before, they don't want academic freedom. No. The, the, Buckley does not want academic freedom. Turning Point no. USA does not want academic freedom. None of them do. And Michael Knowles, as you mentioned, sort of acknowledges that. But Buckley is the only one who just sort of outright admits it by writing this fucking book. Sort of open with it. I guess I can Very open, say, which is well, whatever. Props, man. Give him the credit. At least he admits he's a fucking fascist. Um, so he says about Ralph Turner, quote, Many Yale students laugh off the influence of Mr. Turner and ultimately classify him as a gifted and colorful fanatic. Others, more impressionable, and hence those over whom there is cause to be concerned, are deeply disturbed by Mr. Turner's bigoted atheism and finish the year they spend with him full of suspicions and doubts about religion that they may retain for a lifetime. <sighs> How scary is it to have a professor who makes you think about stuff? I know, terrifying. <laughs> That's what's scariest to Buckley. But he sort of admits there at the beginning, many Yale students, and there's this thing he does. When he's talking about the people who are on the other side of Buckley's position, he uses words like many, most, a good number. And then when he talks about the people that agree with him, he uses words like other, yep. some. And I think it's because he has this thing where deep down, he doesn't want to lie about how big his own support is. And sort of has to admit through word choice that uh, nobody really fucking agrees with me on this bullshit. I really find it sort of funny that he keeps doing that. It yeah, happens throughout this chapter. Yeah, it's good that he knows, but he is sort of trying to cloak it. It's really just a form of lying to everyone else while being honest to himself. With that sort of, uh, well, technically I wasn't lying, sort of bullshit. <laughs> technically, I'd love to Sort of one, right. one of those little things going on. So there's, you know, more complaining about sociology and then Benedict. Then we get to Professor Ralph, or no, not Ralph Linton, uh, Professor Raymond Kennedy. Yeah, this is very <laughs> weird. It's, this is definitely, definitely one of those where he's just like, yeah, I'm not gonna hit the word count for this chapter. I gotta, no. I gotta pull, <laughs> pull this whole article that I wrote, that's so, like three pages long. 
His complaints about Ken- basically he's claiming Ken- it, it's like um it's like the red scare for atheists. Mm-hmm. That's what this is. He's just claiming that Kennedy is an atheist. He wrote an entire article in the Yale Daily News, which he reposts here. Repost the right word. Republish, I guess. You didn't yeah. have posting back then. Reuses, I'm thinking of it in social recycles, media terms. Yeah. yeah, but he republishes that entire article here in this book, which is basically him just shitting on this professor who. As it turns out, I did some research into this guy. He turns out to be a pretty fucking amazing dude. He, uh, was, professor- he also was murdered in Borneo. Yes! This is how we're introduced <laughs> to this man. <laughs> he was murdered by rebels in Borneo shortly after the independence of uh, Indonesia. Shortly mm-hmm. after uh, the, war- the war against the Dutch ended and Indonesia got its independence, uh, he was just there because he spent his whole life studying the region. Indonesia, Malaysia, that area. Um, and So he was there just with a, I think it was with a photographer for some magazine, I don't remember who, and they just got pulled over by some dudes with guns in the jungle, uh, taken out and shot and killed. Uh, Really tragic, because this guy, as it turns out, was one of the few people who at that time was arguing that, you know, the racism in the United States was bad for our position in the world, that it influenced the way that other countries looked at us, that, you know, we need to stop this shit. For not more, not just the moral reasons of stopping it, he certainly was against racism for the fact that racism is wrong. But he was pointing out the connection between racism and uh, the colonialist attitudes that mm-hmm. led to the founding of the United States and then the later colonial era. All this stuff, and he was he was like a fucking Indiana Jones. Like I mentioned, he was going all over Indonesia through jungles, meeting uh, you know small groups, small tribes that. Uh, and talking to him and learning about them, writing these interesting anthropology pieces. He was fucking Indiana Jones, man. Right. And and Buckley's just here shitting on him. And that sort of pisses me off more than anything else about this chapter. He took the coolest dude that he uh, had. Yes, it's very uh, blasé. And spent like... the most time complaining about him. It yeah. Really... But so he talks about, oh, there was this big kerfuffle over Kennedy at Yale because we're because I wrote an article. Yeah. Well, He even says the issue, quote, touched off by an editorial I wrote and published in the Yale Daily News on March 9th, 1949. And he does that thing throughout this discussion of the guy where he does, like I said before, talk about how, oh, using those certain words for people who were against him and Mm -hmm. using words that denote smaller numbers of people for people that were on Buckley's side because... Like he said, this was one of the most uh, popular professors at Yale. Yeah, his the biggest class on campus. Like, Yeah, absolutely. So he says about Kennedy, that this is from the article he published that started this whole thing. Quote, This notwithstanding, Professor Kennedy, who year after year addresses several hundred freshmen and sophomores in Sociology 10, has made a cult of anti-religion. It is a waste of breath to assert the obvious truth that he is entitled to his own beliefs in regard to the existence of God. It is similarly obvious that in undermining religion through body and slapstick humor, through circumspect allusions and emotive innuendos, he is guilty of an injustice to and an imposition upon his students and the university. And then he goes on, just write a bunch of quotes that make me like this guy even more. Actually pretty decent jokes that the guy made. Yeah. (laughs) It just drove me fucking nuts. And then about what happened afterwards, Buckley says, quote, A number of students and faculty rushed to Mr. Kennedy's defense, and others side with my (laughs) views. So it's a number for the ones that were against him, and it's one. Others. (laughs) 
Several members of the faculty and of the administration wrote to me confidentially approving the censure of Mr. Kennedy and the exposition of his biases. A few sample communications appear in Appendix B. And we Not might have... Reading. <laughs> I read it when I read this chapter. We might have to go over the appendices on, like, their own episode because they are, like, yeah. fucking 90 pages yeah, of these appendices so and shit. We might at some point have to do all this. Okay, but fine. Main point of all of this is... This Snitch. guy, Kennedy, was a much better man than William F. Buckley could ever mm -hmm. hope to be. And he spent, I don't know, what was it, three, four pages of this book smearing a dead man and saying, well, I got him in trouble. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, That's and also, so like, he, he's like, well, Kennedy never really responded to my charges. Like, well, you're really never ma making an argument or specific charges, so who cares? Yeah, and... Like, you don't fucking matter. Yeah. You, Who are you don't fucking matter. Exactly. Jesus. But then we get to this last little bit that really made me go, holy shit, Buckley was ahead of the conservative curve, which to be oh, fair, of course he was. We knew is that, behind though. all other curves, but he still was ahead of it. When he starts complaining about textbooks that were used <laughs> in this department, and he says, quote, nor was the classroom bias in the basic course redressed by textbooks that deal sympathetically with religion. Almost all the books assigned dealt with religion wholly as a cultural phenomenon of no greater or lesser interest than ecology or diet. Professor Margaret Mead, in analyzing college texts and religion in the field of cultural anthropology, states that, quote, Two examples of the effects of anthropological handling of religious behavior, when taken as models, upon views of our own society may be found in Middletown and Plainville, USA. I think those are both books that were written about those places and their anthropological studies about them. Mm -hmm. Both of these studies treat religion as part of the culture. Neither of them gives any discussion of the religious beliefs and attitudes of the people of Middletown and Plainville or shows the slightest feeling for religion. So... That was different than his original complaint, right? He's saying that these books don't talk about religion in these mm -hmm. two places. His earlier yeah. complaint was they don't deal with it sympathetically to offset supposedly the negative views that are being portrayed of religion. But all I kept thinking in my fucking head was counterpoint to the Holocaust. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. That's all I could fucking think about because earlier this fucking, this is what they've done. This is Buckley's dream come to life with what the fucking anti-CRT dicks are doing right now and mm -hmm. demanding that if you have a book, you know, this, you have a counterpoint. For, it, yep. It's the same Very shit. Dumb. He was ahead of the goddamn curve. And yep. it also made me think of, um, I was not a sociology or anthropology student in undergrad. I was political science. But uh, one of my, my friends who was brought up to me one time, and I don't remember which it was, it was either sociology or anthropology, but it was something that someone had written, which was like an anthropological view of like plumbers in the Midwest. And it was to point out that if we speak about these people that we know in the same terms of we do of like tribes in Indonesia or whatever, yeah. it's, it reads fucking horribly. Yeah, And it, it shows how horrible our work in anthropology is when we talk about cultures that are not our own. Mm -hmm. And so it's that same, I think, when he sees this Middletown in Plainville, and he sees someone, or she, he, I don't think he actually read those, but this, this professor who's probably biased, um, I'm just assuming, because it's Buckley, um, and they see that they're treating cultures that they're familiar with in the United States with that same neutral anthropological lens that they're familiar with using on those other cultures, it's incredibly harsh and seems strange and mm -hmm. wrong and like something is out of place. 
it's it's exactly that. Yep. So when we get to the last section, Benedict, this is Department of Philosophy. Yeah, not a lot here, really. Again, no. more, more complaints. Uh... More complaints. We get two guys, Mr. Brand Blanchard, who I believe mm-hmm. was the head of the philosophy department, and Paul Weiss, both of whom um, are apparently important philosophers who did some interesting shit. They have, you know, Wikipedia pages, and I found them in other places, people talking about their philosophy. I didn't look deep into them because nope. I didn't really care enough, but he just shits on them both. And then he talks about Robert L. Calhoun who he is a fan of, who apparently never did anything important in his life because I can barely find anything about him other than an obituary. So, Does he just have a natural affinity towards people named Calhoun? Is that... (laughs) You know, that might be be a thing. Maybe that's something. Maybe that's something there. And then he complains about textbooks some more. Uh, Yeah, it's very weird. I... I, yeah, I just don't like this book. No, it's a bad book. I, I'm really hoping it becomes less a list of very hyper-specific complaints and more a list of, like, at least generalized complaints about universities. Because the Yale shit, I have to say, is not doing it for me. It's not. It's not, it's not giving me the tingles. So, you know, he complains about some more textbooks. He points out that, you know, uh, they read a lot of original sources, so there's not a lot of actual textbooks used so which is really funny like they do good scholarly work (laughs) (laughs) and then he just points out uh well you know there's one there's one uh critical introduction to ethics by philip wheelwright that he complains about basically because um it doesn't say that religion can be it says that religion can be neither proved nor disproved so i guess that's I That's guess it. that true statement is is wrong. And then he complains about one of the professors assigning a book by Bertrand Russell. Oh, yeah. And then he says about that quote, I am not forgetting that no honest or fruitful course in philosophy can be taught without readings from some of the famous and brilliant skeptical philosophers of the post-Enlightenment. The student must be introduced to Hume, Kant, Russell, et al., but when he reads them in the original, the responsibility of the teacher for guidance and explanation is all the more urgent. I question whether such guidance and explanation is provided in the three courses listed above, which constitute the department's program in formal thought. So, he doesn't sure. know. He doesn't know whether that's the case, but he questions whether I don't know, but I can't not. imagine these people disagree with one of the greatest thinkers of the 1900s well, in but Russell. He questions whether the, pro- the professors give any guidance or explanation of the book they assigned for class. Yeah. You know, sure. You know how often teachers just assign well, a book and then he wants, don't talk he about wants them? them to say that Bertrand <laughs> Russell is wrong that's what he wants them to yes say. but you know uh I had something about Russell's teapot there I don't know where yeah, it goes something yeah yeah contradict it contradict Russell's teapot I don't know he, he said he wants them to contradict uh the the sources uh whatever it's it's bullshit it's just bad man and then we're at the very end of what we're going to be going over today, and I will read, as I always do, the final paragraph of this first half of chapter one, which is, quote, For the rest, there are philosophers of all shades of belief. While the atmosphere is not as universally discouraging to religion as, for example, in the Department of Sociology, it cannot be in any sense deduced that the spirit of the department is either pro-Christian or even remarkably tolerant of Christianity. My opinion is that taking all the courses in the department into consideration, the bias is notably secular, and in some cases, straightforwardly antagonistic to religion. Which, I should point out, philosophy fucking should be. Yeah. Philosophy fucking should be. Yep. 
Because if you can't go through a basic intro to philosophy and escape with your religion intact, you weren't thinking about it very hard to begin with. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. But Benedict, this is, all Dumb. this is, all this is, is a recent graduate's no. complaint about their university. About their education, yeah. I could but have this is this a shit. conservative classic, Benedict. That yeah, makes I no know, goddamn sense to it's me. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense How? to me. How? I know, I know. It's just like, oh shit, we can make money doing this? That's I think that's why it's a conservative mystery. classic. I, we talked about what was going to be our tie-in throughout this book. What was going to be the thing that we wondered about? And it, for me, it is now... How is this a conservative classic? Yeah. How we'll try do you and answer think, that question. May, maybe there's something later in the book, but I can't fucking I imagine so. what it could be. I, but I you only know read what? so far, so. You know what, Benedict? I, I just changed my mind. Okay. I completely agree that this is a conservative classic because this is all they are. It's the template. Yeah, it's the template. Complaining about fucking colleges You're not being wrong. too liberal and hating Jesus. That yep. is all conservatives have. It's the so template. Benedict... That's it for today's episode. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. Become a patron for as little as $2 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, and more. And, of course, you can become now a member of our new world, Spooky World Order, uh, by posting. I have to throw the uh in there because yep. it's just my favorite part of that. By posting about the show on social media, and sending me a screenshot, we will then induct you every week that you do so into our new world of spooky order. Uh, uh, and as always, we have to give a shout out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, C. David, Megan Ruth, Glaurung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Becky Scott Fairley, and George Soros. Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, A.J. Brantley, Taru Takanen, Skeptical Seventh, and Balls Waterson, and George Soros. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, ain't no party like a Thanos party, because a Thanos party don't. Goodbye. <laughs> that was good. Goodbye. podcast is a production of kevin and benedict productions copyright 2020 all rights reserved music for this podcast is by silverman sound studios find out more at silvermansound.com